Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Faces and FinOps podcast powered by ProsperOps. I'm your host, John Meyer. The Faces and FinOps podcast is about highlighting thought leaders in the cloud financial management space and how they're making an impact not only within their organization, but within the broader FinOps community. Today's guest is Merritt Hughes, a specialist master at Deloitte. Merritt spent over a decade working with AWS billing and account management, both in the public sector and commercial industries. She is now bringing her expertise to Deloitte to help federal, state, and local governments implement multi-cloud FinOps in their agencies, where she focuses on the importance of cost-aware culture. Please join me in welcoming Merritt to the show. Merritt, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm a little concerned about being considered a thought leader. That sounds very impressive, and I'm not sure that I am that, but uh, I have definitely been around the block a time or two, and uh, all it teaches me is there's so much more to learn. So you're concerned about the thought leader, but you have the title as specialist master. Yeah, well, that's okay because there's still the titles above that within Deloitte. So uh, I am not meant to be the end all and be all, uh, but I am here to help bring kind of some of my niche uh, knowledge about all sorts of random things into into Deloitte so we can spread it out to the broader industry. Well, you and I know each other really well. How about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Uh, so I am mostly from Virginia. Uh, typically, I've spent, with the exception of college, I think I've been within an hour of D.C., hour and a half of D.C. for most of my life, um, originally a little further west. I have too many animals uh, and uh, <laughs> I don't do a very good job of gardening. So uh, that's pretty much my life, actually. Merritt, how about you share a little bit about you at Deloitte and your organization and what you're doing there? Oh, absolutely. So I am part of Deloitte's government and public services uh, offering. And what that means is we focus on public sector, right? So government and public services. So whether that is your federal agency, your state, local, even some uh, quasi nonprofits or quasi governmental agencies, um, those all fall under our domain. Uh, in addition to helping support our clients, I also support some of our FinOps work internally. Uh, the way Deloitte is organized means that um, while we are one firm, we have a whole bunch of kind of separately siloed teams working on their own things. So um, in addition to kind of our global overlay that does our central IT, traditionally considered central IT, uh, there are some smaller sectors in there, so I help kind of whoever asks for help on whether it's plain old cost optimization, let's drive your bill down because you're going to be over budget for the year, or let's make sure as we start this new initiative that we have done all of the kind of the basics, whether it's your tagging strategy or understanding um, how to really build a solid estimate. Uh, that's kind of a thing I seem to be working on a lot recently is helping people figure out how to really understand how much that thing is gonna cost before they build the thing. What does FinOps really mean? Oh God, <laughs> what is the meaning of life? What is the holy grail? I, the, you know, the, the definition of FinOps is basically about deriving value, right? Getting the maximum value for the cloud. I think 
sometimes people go, well, FinOps is financial operations. And yes and no, right? Um, if you say it's just financial operations, then you miss all of the other components that have to be in place in order to have a successful FinOps proce uh, project process team um, and culture. Because if you're just focusing on the financial, then what you're missing is, hey, did security come through and do their part? Uh, did architecture actually make sure that this thing is gonna meet our performance requirements? And those things have financial impacts, but they are not financial operational procedures, right? So, you know, coining the term FinOps and then, you know, it's kind of relatives, cloud financial management and all of these things, I think put very high amount of pressure on the word financial and don't get me wrong, the finances are important because you got to pay that bill somehow, some way. But it often leaves the impression that it's only the f accountants and the finance people that are driving activities. And if that's the case, you're missing some of what needs to be considered, which is your technical implementation and reliability of your offering, whatever that may be. You're missing all the other components that come along with it. Yes, finance is very key into it, but it's the team, it's the the collaboration uh, together to actually achieve those results. Why is FinOps important to you, though? Oh, so when I started, a big cloud bill was like $15,000 a month, that was a huge, oh my God, they're spending a lot in the cloud amount. And now that's a cool, I'm glad you've started your cloud journey amount. And when you're looking at those small amounts and understanding how they add up and whether it's in your own personal budget, understanding how, um, I call 7-Eleven my gateway drug, right? Because I walk in for one, you know, 99 cent big gulp and somehow leave with, you know, <laughs> a $15 checkout, right? Well, the same thing can happen in your cloud. You can't fix your personal budget by just making edicts any more than you can fix your cloud bill by just making edicts, right? You have to set yourself up for success. And I think having watched all of those people for years, because it was probably only seven or eight years ago, six or seven years ago, maybe, that people really started to go, oh, this cloud thing is getting expensive. But watching all of the mistakes happen up until then and not being able to get people to care feels very much like watching myself make my own mistakes by walking into 7-Eleven, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, and then I think I also, then the people's retort at the end is the cloud isn't cheaper. Well, not the way you're doing it, right? And sometimes that's knowledge. They didn't know, right? They didn't understand how to create a budget, how to estimate what their application was gonna cost, how to architect in a cloud native way, how to use microservices, all of that. Sometimes it's just laziness. They knew, but that was harder. Lift and shift was easier. Um, sometimes there were external demands that said we have to get out of our data center immediately. And so they did, <laughs> right? And now there's these choices. And I think 
I just care so much, whether it's personally or professionally, that money be spent wisely. And just saying I care, by the way, does not mean that I practice what I preach with my own personal budget, but I do try and practice it with my cloud budget because those numbers are much larger and have a much bigger impact than my uh, big gulp gone bad. I love the 7-Eleven analogy. I'm actually going to have to use that, or you might see a highlight of that coming out. Mary, let me ask you the difference between cloud financial management and FinOps. Why do we have two terms? Do they both mean the same thing as one more than the other? You know, depends on who you ask. If I hear CFM, I assume, and this may not be true, right? Um, in an, any particular organization. But if I hear CFM, I assume it is really more about the rate optimization component, right? Are we buying all of our RIs and savings plans? Are we negotiating our biggest discounts? All of that kind of stuff. And then if I hear FinOps, I'm assuming that it's a much broader cultural practice. But the reality is people often use those terms interchangeably. And so you have to spend some time talking to them to figure out exactly what their organization is doing or what their mindset is. Because I have heard FinOps people who seem to just focus on rate optimization and tagging and cost reporting and not any of the other side of it. Um, and I've heard CFM people, you know, I do CFM, not FinOps. And for them, it's all encompassing. And I know people who don't call it either of the things, they just call it good stewardship right? They're just doing what should be done and they don't give it a name. Um, so, you know, are they the same thing? Maybe. Are they wildly different? Maybe. It just depends on who you're asking and what you're talking about. So here I am again, John, not answering your questions clearly. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell you work in like public sector and government stuff. I've answered your uh, question. That's true of commercial though too, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> I, if there was one true answer, my friend, I would give it to you. But alas, uh, if you talk to enough people, you find out there is no one true answer. That's all right. Merritt, how would you describe Deloitte's organizational FinOps function? Like, where are you at within the process? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question because I am not um, on Deloitte's internal teams. I am a client-facing role. I do support some of our internal clients, um, meaning uh, a particular, if we're creating an asset that we want to sell, for example, as a SaaS product, um, I am helping some of those teams, but for the most part, I don't su support Deloitte Central IT. Um, there are other folks who do that FinOps stuff. Uh, I don't have uh, my own cloud bill within Deloitte, so I don't know how how they would manage my spend. I would hope they'd look at my stuff and go, oh, she's good. We don't need to talk to her. <laughs> now, if that is the case, if they look at yours and be like, uh, Mary, we, we, we've got to talk about your cloud bill. <laughs> That's one of those, you're focused on all the others and you forgot about yours. Yeah, uh, yeah the cobbler's kids uh, have no shoes kind of thing is possible. Um, but the, for the most part, for the internal clients I'm supporting, kind of have two focuses, one of which is, and it, it varies because as I said at the beginning, um, we're kind of, oh, even though we're one firm, we're, we're one offering to the public, um, internal to Deloitte, we have a lot of kind of separate business units who kind of do their 
not do their own thing, right? But in terms of their cloud, if they're building their something that they hope to take to market as a SaaS product, for example, um, they kind of do that on their own and if they pull me in. And so I kind of try and help them focus on kind of two things. One, what is their budget that they've been given to actually spend this year? And how can we help them meet that budget? Um, but also give them things to consider as they go through their sprint planning and um, long-term planning, right? So typically when you're working on something fast and you're trying to get it to market, you know, there's a little bit of, I don't care how much it costs, I need to speed to market. And then there's the reality of the bills at the other side <laughs> that, that say otherwise, right? And so it's finding that balance and sometimes finding proof points from elsewhere, right? So, um, hey, um, for this particular application, um, if we ran it on Graviton, we could save 20%, but I also know this other team tried to run that same application on Graviton and ran into X issue, right? Can I help cross-pollinate information between these two independent BUs um, to try and save them some time on figuring out what can and cannot be done? Sometimes it's quite honestly, I just take something one of them taught me, <laughs> internalize it and share that knowledge out. Um, and it makes it interesting to consider my own firm to be one of my clients, right? So typically in the FinOps world, you're either a consultant helping somebody else's company or you're helping your own company. And what's interesting in my role is components of my company are treated by me just as if they were a state government or a federal agency. Um, and so really what I'm trying to do is help them work within their constraints and take every lesson I've learned somewhere else <laughs> and so that they don't have to learn it as hard. Um, some of them insist on learning it the hard way, but most of them are happy to take those lessons learned from elsewhere. Now, you're not part of the internal uh, Deloitte IT team for the FinOps, but you're helping customers, like two customers, implement FinOps or work with it or just a portion of it? Um, it depends on what they've asked for help with. Um, so uh, we do maturity assessments, right? So some uh, agency might come in and say, we think we're doing FinOps, uh, but we know we have some gaps. Can you come help us figure out where we are in our kind of current state, what our future roadmap looks like relative to our constraints, right? Because anyone commercial or public sector who's ever looked at a, here is your ideal state of FinOps, or honestly, any framework, it doesn't even have to be FinOps, has gone, ha, ha, ha to some component because you don't realize what restriction I have, whether that restriction is financial, whether it's headcount, whatever, what can we do? Um, sometimes that um, assessment is done prior to a very large migration effort. Are we ready from a FinOps perspective to move out of data centers and into the cloud rather than doing cleanup after the fact? Sometimes it's a, oh dear God, what happened to our bill? Please come help us reduce that bill. And 
that takes a couple of forms, right? You go hit those um, really quick, easy wins, the low hanging fruit, whatever it is, right? You go, I'm sorry, you're running how much on demand and you own zero RIs or savings plans. Let's <laughs> knock some of those out. Let's go, you know, delete the EBS volumes that have been sitting unattached for three years, right? You try and hit those low hanging fruit, but you also have to work them through getting stuff tacked, right? And so what is their immediate need? Their immediate need is, oh dear God, let's drive our bill down but they have some longer term needs so they don't end up back in that same situation. Um, other times we're just asked to come in and do kind of FinOps as a service, right? Come in and do all of our reporting and do all of our tagging and let us know what things are right-sized and it's a regular ongoing engagement. Um, so basically if it involves a cloud bill and they wanna know something about it, they can bring us in at whatever level they want. Let's uh, spin in a little bit and ask, you know, what are some of the mistakes that you might see immature companies make when implementing FinOps? The biggest mistake I see them make is saying our cloud bill is not that big. It's just a line item. It's fine. It's not even a line item on our bill. Um, Cause they're not wrong at that stage but they're not prepared for the stage that's coming in six months or maybe if it's two years down the road, right? If you're really small in your cloud bill, let's say it's 15, 20 grand a month, but relative to your overall, you know, what you're spending on headcount, what you're spending on office rent and equipment, you know, all of that, it doesn't register. Well, hopefully your product is successful. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then that 15 grand a month becomes 150 grand, becomes 300 grand. And now no one is used to having any process or controls. And you don't actually, you're at the point where you're ready to start. Um, your accounting team is ready to start going, oh, well, this is R&D, not, you know, production costs. And we get to handle those different from a tax perspective. And they haven't set up anything to be able to do that. Right, so not taking that time to think about if things go well, what kind of controls and reporting do we need in a couple of years so that you have them in place from the beginning. Would you say one of the biggest mistakes is not seeing or looking into the future and planning ahead of time or implementing FinOps from the start or? I, I mean, both, because if you're planning, if you're looking ahead to the future and planning and implementing for what success will look like, should include putting FinOps in, at least components of FinOps in at the start, right? Um, because otherwise you're just all freewheeling it and hoping that the angel investor comes or the series C funding or series A for that matter. And it's hard because nobody can really predict the future, especially if you're truly a startup, you know, and you're trying to bootstrap your way, right? Just speed, I gotta get my first customer. I gotta get my first investor. I gotta get out the door. But just spending, you know, an hour going, all right, let's say I get 20 customers. What things will I wish I'd put in place on day one can save a whole lot of heartache. And as you get to 20 customers, stop and think, all right, what if I get to 200? What controls do I need to put in place now to make that feasible when I get there? Because otherwise trying to clean up when you have 2000 customers, oh, and that goes for your architecture too, not just your spend, right? Are you on the right 
are you on RDS or Redshift or can, should you move to Athena, right? All of these questions, I think too often startups wait until they've dug themselves into an immense amount of tech debt and outrageously high uh, cloud bills before they go back and reconsider. Spend the hour now or the hour daily now, and instead of spending like months down the road trying to clean up and trying to implement something when you can kind of do it from the beginning and, and on, a, on a smaller scale, but you're at least aware of your growth and where you potentially could go. It doesn't even have to be an hour daily, honestly, when you're small enough. It, it, spend three hours on day one, consider it again for an hour at month one, right? And then an hour each month of, you know, am I supporting myself in the way that will be sustainable from a controls and financials and reporting aspect? Because if I, general PSA, if you have workloads in your AWS management account and your small company listening to this, please get them out now. Put nothing else in your management account. Uh, just do do your future everybody <laughs> a huge favor with that. Um, so because, you know, those are the kinds of things that I would see because people didn't spend the hour of planning. How's it going to work when I have 47 engineers? All with access to your management account. Yeah, very true. When you're trying to do, go really quick starting up, you're just like, ah, everybody access here, the one account in the organization. We talked about immature FinOps and some of the mistakes that they're making. But do you see even mature FinOps companies or implementation making mistakes? And what are they? And what do you suggest? The biggest mistake I see is set it and forget it. Very similar, honestly, to startup. It's just what it, how it got there is different, right? So under set it and forget it, we have our SOP, we have our controls, we have our tagging, we're done. Things change. Are you paying attention to them? Are you looking at things at the granularity you need? Are you ready for your next shift, whether it's um, business increase, business decrease, something we all have to consider these days, right? Um, and, and people just love a set it and forget it SOP. And oh, anyone who's ever found an SOP that was so outdated that you don't even recognize the names of the people in the document, that's, that is the biggest mistake I see folks make. Uh, Stephen Old, when he did this, was people not continuing to improve. And that not continuing to improve is really a, a, a variation on the set it and forget it mentality. The set it and forget it. How often do we do that not only at work, but in our personal lives and not go back and reevaluate and how we can improve overall and continuously improve? You said, you know, spend three hours the first week and then next month spend an hour. As long as you're spending the time or investing into it, you'll continuously improve on things. Yep. I mean, the if any of you are uh, personal finance nerds and go to the subreddit on personal finance, <clears throat> periodically, and when I say periodically, probably every week or so, somebody joins that because they just realized after years that they had never actually invested their 401k money or their IRA money and it was just sitting in the initial money market account rather than properly investing, right? And they had set it to set it and forget it and hadn't even properly set it, right? So <laughs> you never know how far off your SOP is if you're not constantly reevaluating it. 
I'll be right back. No, <laughs> Go check that fidelity. <laughs> now let's actually talk about a little bit more around your FinOps journey. What were you doing prior to joining Deloitte? Most immediately prior to joining Deloitte, I worked at Ingram Micro, uh, where I created and then ran what we called um, the IaaS administration team. And what that meant was I helped about 220 partners globally uh, create, manage, and run their AWS resale business. Had some uh, offered some support for Azure as well, but I would say 95% of it was AWS. Um, and what that meant was I did not focus on their go-to-market, right? Their go-to-market was their problem. Um, what I helped them with was understanding AWS programs under channel, how to understand your AWS bills so that you could appropriately bill your end client, and then also how to save money, right? Because the one of the primary reasons to go through channel or a managed services provider is to have them take over that burden of running your cloud environment. Um, so I did a lot of training of how to literally read your AWS bill <laughs> so that you knew what you were being charged, much less how to charge your client. Um, but then understanding, you know, what to go look for when the bill was starting to get out of control, as well as a lot more of those operational things along the organizational alignment, stakeholder engagement um, area, because it looks a little different as a managed service provider, but it's just as critical. Bring in awareness to their cloud costs. Merit, how did you get started with InfinOps? Uh, so I guess it depends on what you mean by started and FinOps, uh, but 12. And I've asked the cloud financial management. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's a, been about 12 years now since I handled my first AWS deal. Um, and at the time, uh, there were no blogs and there was no repost and there were no John Meyer podcasts or the FinOps guys podcast, right? Like none of those things existed. So I had to figure out the billing on my own. And then kind of bit by bit, I went from one account to, you know, three accounts to five accounts, learning a little bit each time. This was for the OG AWS people. This was back in the day of light, medium and heavy RIs. And uh, so Partial upfront just seems so easy in comparison to those things. Um, and so just kind of a little bit by little bit, it grew. Uh, when I left there, I ended up at Cloud Checker where I was on their product team. And, but I actually had a hybrid role on our uh, customer success as well as our sales engineering team, in addition to helping build product. So I had a, ton of visibility into people's cloud cost problems from teeny tiny startups to large scale, you know, Fortune 100 enterprises, uh, including some who were cloud native and some who had been companies for 100 years and everything in between before I went to Ingram and now Deloitte. Part of your current role as a specialist master, what are some of the things that you're responsible for or that you're handling specifically for customers? What is what does the day to day look like for you? I don't have a day to day. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I and I say that a little bit as a joke, but a little bit because it's true. 
Um, I support multiple clients. I support folks internally. I do a ton of internal training and mentorship and things like that. So um, for client-based engagements, I do a lot of asking them questions about what their specific needs are um, because no two, I could pick states right next to each other. Agencies that sit on you know, the same street in DC and they have very different needs. They have different restrictions. They have different internal politics. Um, so figuring out exactly what their needs are and their goals are to move forward their FinOps practice. Um, and then, so it's a lot of just conversations and asking them questions. And then other times it's sitting in a meeting discussing how to get the maximum benefit in our next PPA renegotiation, right? So um, no two days are the same and no month contains, you know, a single pattern other than I do work at a consulting firm. So PowerPoint, PowerPoint is the consistent <laughs> through it all. PowerPoint and Excel actually, because uh, Excel and FinOps as well as Excel and consulting uh, are inseparable, so. So you're enjoying those spreadsheets. I'll take spreadsheets over PowerPoint any day. <laughs> <laughs> I actually will too. Uh, <laughs> I like Excel, don't get me wrong or anything like that. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now or your customers might be facing? I think the biggest problem my external clients are facing is figuring out how to insert the needs of FinOps into existing process, right? So agencies, again, federal, state, local, have a lot of process built into them. Most of it's given has roots in regulation. And so then in comes this new thing, FinOps. Oh God, we got to put more controls in. How do you, how do you give me not another workflow? How, how many forms do I fill out? I can't fill out any more forms. I can't approve any more forms, right? So how can we get some of the responsibilities that need to be picked up if you're going to do FinOps, right? And to do FinOps rights means you're doing your cloud, right? So whether you call it CFM or FinOps or whatever, if you're doing your cloud, right? How do you get those things in place without burdening people with more forms? Um, so sometimes that's going back to a form at kind of project ideation and just putting in a, do you have an estimate for this? Do you have tag keys for these values, right? You know, maybe that's where it begins. And that's why you can't, I can't give one solution to all of my clients because boy, if I could just drop in and be like, here's your solution, pop out, you know, all cloud waste would be gone, right? But instead you have to, to find out how you can slide it in in a way that it will be effective without creating more burden than the value you're trying to get out of it. That is very key because what I see and what I hear with FinOps and implementing it and those who don't have it yet, or it's like, how do I get this into my company and not add more burden to my teams of another process or things that have to go into place and another review and another meeting without be like, all right, is it worth the value of implementing it versus my cloud costs at this period in this time? You're like, how do you juggle them? 
Yeah, and, and it's a challenge and I think it's looking at your existing process and finding out is it, can we rephrase this question so that it answers multiple things? Can we add another question to an already existing form? Can we make, um, can we do training so that all of our architects are aware that Graviton might save us 20% if compatible and what that testing would need to look like before they proceed, right? It, finding what weakness you need to address the most given your organizational's thing and finding a different way to solve the problem versus another form in another meeting. Sometimes, sorry, that meeting is needed. <laughs> but can you can you mitigate that need and make it as, as valuable as possible so that it becomes easy for folks to action? Well, let's talk about the automation aspect of getting this information. Are you using AI? And I know AI is a big term right now, and I'm just talking about some automation and AI integrated to complete certain tasks, or how do you see it affecting FinOps? I am personally not using much um, automation or AI um, unless like some Excel macros count <laughs> so automation. Uh, uh, that actually does. That's an automation. I oh my God, that brings back memories from like 97. Right. Um, in part because uh, most things that I'm working with are, I think you have to have a certain amount of maturity for automation to be valuable because if I had let loose automation on one of my clients' accounts in January, we would have been massively over-provisioned on RIs and savings plans uh, because compute costs have dropped by 50% in the last five months, <laughs> right? Um, a few other places, right? I, I get very nervous when people talk about, oh, you're going to go, we're going to go fix your Terraform script to use GP3 instead of GP2. It's automagic. And I'm like, oh, don't get me wrong. I'm going to be sitting there telling people to go, you know, configure this to change to GP3, but I need them to go back and change their, not just their base template, but I need them to change whatever workflow created that base template so that when they create the template for application number seven, it doesn't also say GP2, right? And until you have enough rigor in your FinOps practice that automation doesn't just create stack drift and then have to redeploy and redeploy and redeploy every time you spin up something new, it's a hard sell. Um, I think for fairly well-established, and I don't think they have to be run everywhere, Right, but I think they have to be a reasonably functioning, like very stable in their walk, like a five-year-old's walk, not a toddler's walk. You know, it can't be blown over by a stiff wind. I think once you've reached that level, you know, automation becomes a lot more sustainable. Um, when I think of, you know, babies and toddlers with automation, it's a little bit, um, what kind of mess are they gonna get into with that Sharpie on the wall? I know this next question is probably, I'm hoping we have enough time in this podcast for, is going to open up a bunch of stuff, but we were talking about it earlier, or you mentioned it a couple of times in tagging. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, I'm getting you ready for some of the TV. What is the importance or how important do you feel in tagging any environment? I don't care AWS as your GCP, whatever it is, even internal tagging is for FinOps in general. Incredibly important if you want to reach a fast walk or run. Um, your tagging um, not only can tell you, you know, cool cost stuff, right? Help you do your KPIs and your unit economics, but tags can also help you run um, some scripted automation, right? Of turn down um, these instances at 7 p.m. every weeknight and turn them back on at 7 a.m. in the morning. You can't can't do that without a tag because your Lambda script would need something <laughs> to go identify that machine with unless you're really going to create it with individual uh, instance IDs, in that, which is not scalable, right? Um, and then, you know, turn it off all weekend, right? So some of it is for that. You should be tagging for security, um, tagging for automation, tagging for cost. Um, when I was talking about the things as you're um, setting out, the three hours the first month and then that kind of month is, all right, once we reach this phase, do I need to start separating out the costs of my dev versus my prod? Because now I actually have clients and some of this is a cost of goods sold and not an expense, right? And you need to start understanding where those lie. You know, true ideal, you have them in separate accounts or separate subscriptions, um, but even within that, understanding who stood up what for what purpose can really help you figure out what's generating your costs. Um, my one piece of advice is for the love of God, please, I beg everyone, I'm going to stay real hard into the camera right now. Do not ever put a tag key of password and a tag value of your password because that is a thing I have seen in the car. So please. Seriously? You, yes. Wait, wait, wait. You have seriously seen those tags in the cur? Yes. I have 100% seen, and I'm going to restate this again. I need everyone to understand this. At no point in time should you have a tag of admin password, admin PWD, any of that, anything resembling that, and an actual password in your tag value. And so when I discovered this, I posted this on Twitter back before that just completely tanked. And somebody said they didn't understand why this was a problem. They what? Said it's, and, but they didn't realize, what they did not realize was that the cost and usage report gets pulled into third-party tools that other people can see. Because they're like, well, it's in my account. I'm the only one with access to it. And they meant like within their, uh, their own dev account yeah. within a broader organization. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, that tag key, if somebody just hit activate all on the cost allocation tags, now is writing to the cost and usage report. And that cost and usage report can be put into a third party tool that then I had access to. <laughs> now, at the, you know, I did not in fact have access to that member account, but if I were a person with nefarious intent, I'm sure I could probably find my way in. And I now had the password to their instant. No. So please, again, t tag the things. Just do not tag them with what the admin password is. <laughs> please, I'm begging you. 
Mara, that's some sound advice. <laughs> I have never come across it, but I'm sure there's some good stories around it. How important is tagging for accurate reporting, though? Um, for accurate cost reporting? Because yep. there's a whole bunch of reporting you can do via tag. Um, but for accurate cost reporting, well, it depends on the granularity of the cost reporting you need. If I just need to know what my total cloud spend is, it doesn't really matter whether you tag it. If you need to start understanding how much test dev staging costs you relative to prod, if you need to start understanding how much business unit A costs you relative to business unit B, um, those things you absolutely need more tagging. If you're trying to understand which of your services can be uh, migrated to newer instances, honestly, tagging helps there too. There's certain software that um, only is supported if you're running on an M4 large. The fact that we're on M6s and M7s is irrelevant because that software is only supported on M4 large, right? A tag can save me from repeating that recommendation to you next month, right? I can just go, oh, yeah, the, this one will not be upgraded until the third-party vendor updates their stuff, right? Um, so tagging is always important, but cost reporting depends, you know, are you looking to do cost recommendations or total spend, right? And what those tags are might be a little different, um, but still important. There's that, that question of, tagging one account that's solely meant for me as a developer and do I tag it or not? Yeah, and I think that it goes a bunch of different ways. At a small organization, it's really easy to be, oh, account 394, that's John's, right? But at a larger organization, first of all, there's 15 John's. Um, and which team I haven't does John... 15 of me. No, I'm just <laughs> but also which team does John belong to? Because as you get bigger then that, how many places that money could fit and where it belongs, but also your personal development account might have you sandboxing things for different work streams that have different financial handling rules. Um, right. So how big is your organization? How granular is their chargeback, right? All of those things um, are components. I, a lot of reporting now can be done via tag, right? You can filter on the tag, like just show me things that include the filter prod, for example, or the tag key of prod, but not everything can, right? So if you're going through compute optimizer and you're just pulling a list, it, it doesn't include it only includes account IDs. So sometimes there is a little bit of mix and match that has to happen anyway. Um, but you can still filter down and drive things. So, you know, again, comes back to how big is your organization? What are their needs? I think getting in the habit of tagging is pretty solid, right? Um, but I understand why it, uh, if it is dedicated per account, it doesn't always happen. Marion, it's time to wrap things up with a couple of fun questions for you. And oh, then no. our final no fun question. Fun and FinOps. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that what the F stands for? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, fun in operation. No, uh, Marion, here's my first question for you. 
if you didn't have to be here right now, and I'm not talking about the podcast because you have to be. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you didn't have to be at Deloitte right now, where would you be and why? Oh, um, I if I, am I employed, but not doing this or am I, uh, independently wealthy and I get to run my own life? Let's oh, go okay. independently wealthy. <laughs> uh, if I'm independently wealthy, uh, I'm probably spending a fair chunk of the day riding horses and the rest of the time volunteering, um, for things to prevent, uh, homelessness, particularly in teens. Well, I wish you luck on winning the lottery or being wealthy to go ahead forward with both of those. Uh, I like the second one a lot. That's the very first time I've heard that. Uh, it's a huge, if you can prevent homelessness in late teens and early 20s, um, it prevents lifelong homelessness. Like the, the intervention rate at that age is very successful, more successful than if you start later. Mary, is there any information later on you can provide me? And I'll put that in the description then. Absolutely. All right. I'd like to share that out. I'm going to turn to our last question. And uh, Mary, do you remember what an iPod is? I do. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I have to ask my guests, they're like, what is that? We didn't, you have music on your phone. We, we didn't have phones back then. No, it was a device where music and you can only cram 256 songs or something. All right. Imagine having an iPod, the OG of it all, and you're on an island. You have music on this. What music? It has to be music. Um, well, wait, can we put other stuff on it? Audiobooks? Could you yeah, put audiobooks, audiobooks could, on it? I think audiobooks could go there. It was before the podcast revolution. So audiobooks are probably there. I think I'd have it was 250 songs. So I think I'd have like an audio book with a really good narrator. And then I'd probably do uh, a mix of songs that are like sing-along, fun, high energy. Even if you don't know all of the lyrics, somehow you sing along to it type of music just to like uh, bring up the energy when it's time to get moving. I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have one song in particular in mind? Um, what? That sticks in your head? So the songs that come to mind are actually probably not the songs I would choose first, but they're the ones that pop to mind first, which are like the um, uh, Hey Mickey, You're So Fine, or the Edge, uh, uh, eight six seven five three oh nine song right like the songs that like even if you don't know all the lyrics like they come on you have to sing along to them ymca is another one but i'm thinking also too like a lot of the 90s alt uh and pop type of stuff that was of my era um like my high school college and just beyond era um that little eminem in there to mix it up right just to get the energy and start going around right now anybody listening i hope one of these songs got stuck in your head for the remainder of the day if if your brain isn't going hey mickey you're so fine uh you're clearly much younger than john and i are <laughs> i was doing it while you, when you said that i'm thinking of uh there was a, a movie bring it on and at the yep. end of it they did that hey mickey you're so fine you're so fine <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah and it's a very catchy and it def definitely gets your energy up 
Mara, my last question for you, who are some of the most influential practitioners in FinOps? Um, so right now, and of course I'm blanking on his name, um, he is uh, uh, Bradwell out of the UK. He is um, doing a savings for Ukraine, FinOps for Ukraine initiative, a waste challenge. Um, where he's trying to get organizations to do a FinOps push and donate a percentage of their savings to Ukraine. Um, I'll find his name. I'll post it. I'll try yes. to get it on the screen or something. We'll share it out with everybody. Yeah. Um, so It'll come to him, you after we click stop recording. A hundred percent. As soon as we hit stop recording, I literally looked up his name last night to have it top of mind, like to make sure I had his company and everything right. And um, Frank Contrebois of Strategic Blue is somebody that every time I talk to him, I just almost, I, I adore him, but I almost develop an inferior com inferiority complex because I'm like, I'll never be that smart. I'll just never be that smart and being able to explain, explain it so clearly. He's phenomenal. Um, I love talking to Stephen Old, who I met through Frank. Um, you know, there's a few other folks um, that I really have enjoyed meeting, but I haven't had a chance to talk to them about FinOps specifically, but I met them because of FinOps. Um, and this is, you know, Deanna of Smarsh and um, uh, Amy with, uh, she was with Under Armour, but she's just changed roles, um, Ashby just some phenomenal people that you can tell they are very, very good at what they do. Um, I just haven't had much of a chance. We tend to talk about women in the workplace more than we talk about FinOps, honestly, when I'm talking to them. Um, but there's just amazing, uh, I have a colleague, Amanda Dalton, who's also fabulous. Um, and her, we have similar experience, but wildly different experience. And so it's been really great to learn from folks like that. So, um, Honestly, almost anyone I talk to in FinOps, I learned something from because we've all had different lessons learned the hard way. Well, Mara, that was an awesome list of, you know, FinOps practitioners that are out there. Don't worry, everybody. We're going to add them to the description. We're going to reach out, try to get them on a future podcast. Now it's time to wrap things up for our Faces in FinOps podcast. Everyone, Merritt Hughes, a specialist master at Deloitte. Merritt, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, John. It's uh, been wonderful as always. Everybody, this has been another awesome episode and discussion around Faces and FinOps powered by our good friends at ProsperOps. Be sure to hit that like, subscribe, and notify, and follow that ProsperOps blog. And until next time.